Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Hey, from a playground near Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kion Wolf. All the kids on the swings over there and, and the slide over there and the monkey bars, each of them has stories about how awesome they are. And in today's episode, we're going to be hearing the stories of some truly extraordinary kids who aren't letting their age stop them from making a difference. We'll talk with eight-year-old Jack. Back in July, he held a beautiful memorial service to honor an egret that was attacked by two teenagers in his town. And later we'll hear from Cash. He's 14 and he's been cleaning up trash in waterways for more than half his life. I'm serious. He's recycled over two tons of aluminum cans. But first, let's go hang out with Samira Horton, AKA DJ Annie Red. She's right there in the center of the playground with two turntables and a microphone. At 14 years old, DJ Annie Red has been exploring how her unique voice connects her with other kids who've been bullied. But she also helps people who have done hurtful things to look deep within themselves to see what needs healing. She told me about this one time when she was at camp, and she wanted to join some other kids playing soccer. I remember going up to like the boys. They had a little game going on. I was like, can I play? I remember that a couple of days they would kind of just talk to me like, oh, like you sound like a boy. Why does your voice sound like this? Or just like, no, like you're a girl, like things like that. So I remember speaking, coming home and speaking to my parents about it. And my parents always have my back. I'm very grateful for my parents. Um, So they obviously they contacted the camp, but it was hard for me to really understand because I never really experienced anything like this where like, you know, because as a kid, you're just being yourself. And when you're bullied about things that you can't really control, like this is how my voice sounds like I was born with this voice. It's confusing to understand like why you're being, um, you know, bullied. So I, I understood the main concept that bullies bully because of their own insecurities their own problems and their, whatever they're going through. It could be situations that are going on at home. They might not have the best home environment. They might not be in the best spot mentally. They could have mental illnesses or just going through a lot. Like we all go through those rough days or those rough weeks or those rough patches where we kind of need someone to help us. And sometimes the way we take those energy or the way we sort of cry for help, because sometimes I realized as well is that bullies, like them bullying is like a cry for help. People, you know, deal with emotions differently. And uh, unfortunately, the way that they dealt with those emotions was bullying. And it could just be like, hey, like someone noticed me because they want that attention, right? For someone to give them that attention. So it's really like, notice me, like I'm here. Bullies are going through their own thing and hurt people hurt people, right? So bullies could have been bullied before or they could have, like I said, been hurt at home. You never really know. So obviously, like it's hard for you to understand, like, well, why do I have to care about what someone else is going through, like just leave me alone. But you know, the empathy in 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 all of us is to really understand like we're human and we go through stuff and those rough patches do happen, but 
we really need to understand what the bully is going through. Yeah. And, and I hear and I hear so much compassion in your voice. And I think about like, you know, it sounds like your parents had a really big influence on forming, helping you form that part of your character. And I'm sure part of it was also innate, just the way you are, like a really caring person. And I think about also maybe a young person hearing you right now and thinking, yeah, hurt people hurt people, but now I'm hurt. I don't want to hurt people. What do you say to them? How do you not become the bullies that you fear? So the best thing to do when you're that hurt person is to redirect that energy in some way. We all can remember COVID. We all were sort of in the house and a lot of people picked up new hobbies, right? They sort of turned that negative uh, situation that they're in into a positive situation. So I would say if you're that hurt person now, find your superpower, find what you're good at. So now you can make a difference. One out of five kids that reported being bullied. So if you count one, two, three, four, five, one of those kids have been bullied. And I noticed that it's even higher than that. I think the cystic is wrong. It's it probably like three out of five, I would probably say is a cystic. So really focus on why bullying is an issue. And for me, I wanted to fix that. I don't want to go through that. And now I don't want other kids to go through that. So I used music as a bridge to connect the message of bullying with my ta- with what I'm already good at, my superpower. And you know how we teach kids ABCs? When you learn something that's really repetitive, and when you hear a song and that song is playing, you know, you're going to repeat that in your head over and over and over again. So why don't we use that same concept of like a catchy chorus, a catchy song, and now use a positive message? Because also as well, if we think about, I love hip hop music, but if we're being honest, like a lot of the messages aren't that positive. So now we can make a difference in that way as well. And we can have that positive message now playing um, in either the classrooms or just in your free time. So we're using that. Uh, superpowers or redirecting that negative energy. So you've been hurt before and you've been hurt by police. Now you can redirect that energy into what you're already good at. Now, I know that not everyone likes playing music, so it can be a sport. How can you get your teammates involved and bring everyone together? It can be dancing, similar um, aspect to that. Maybe you can make a dance with a song that's raising awareness or it doesn't even need to be bullying. It can be anything like a loss of a family member. But how can we now just make a positive impact so that we're helping others? I want to hear about vulnerability. Now, you are a public speaker. You're an advocate. You're a musician. You are a DJ. You are an author. You are, you are, you are so many things. You just express yourself in every way it seems that you possibly can. You are expressing yourself in ways that are vulnerable. You're not talking about math or, (laughs) but you are really making yourself vulnerable by putting yourself out there. And I wonder, first of all, how much of that is just the way you are? And how much of it is something that you've learned because you had to, because maybe it was worth putting yourself out there? Mm, That's actually really good. I would say that it just gets more and more comfortable as you go, because you go through all these experiences, you go to all these schools and I ask the kids and I read them that statistic, one out of five, I said, how many of you guys have been bullied before? And almost everyone raises their hands and even teachers. So it's like really thinking about that. Everyone goes through this. So who's going to be that person who's like, all right, well, let's fix this. Now, I think a good amount of it is just me being me and knowing everyone has probably gone through this and just, you know, putting yourself out there to help that one, two, three kids that can really benefit from that message. Yeah. And I feel like there's never really been a better time to be vulnerable. We're in this era where, you know, people are talking about their hardest things. They're going through difficulties or there's a there's a phrase about you shouldn't bleed from the pulpit and, you know, you should be uh, speaking from a healed place. And 
that's not always the answer. You don't necessarily always. Sometimes it's best to just talk about it while you're going through it. Yeah. 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 When I think about the people who've bullied me, uh, thankfully it's been a long time uh, and I've had lots of time to try to build some compassion around it. But sometimes when I think about those people, I feel like a tension in my heart and a twist in my gut and I have a hard time. Oh, when you like thinking about your past bully experiences? Yeah. And I think like, I want to forgive them, but nobody can even agree on what forgiveness even means, but I want to let it go. And I'd like to hear your reflections on, for the bully and the bullied, the power of compassion, both for the self and the other person. It's always going to start with you. You have to know who you are and be confident in yourself. and. I, and even if you're being, if you're the bully, like forgive yourself and heal yourself before you're able to even have a conversation or talk or let go of baggage from anybody else. You have to be very self-aware and understand what role you've played in anything um, and know who you are to heal anyone else. Like for me, in order for me to start my anti-bullying, like speaking journey, I had to understand why I was bullied and let that go because like I had circled back to a kid that had bullied me and he was still acting the same way so I think that it's obviously just gonna always start with you it's tough to swallow but especially if you want to like keep improving as a person and mature as a person and be happy in your life you have to let it go and when you let it go you'll be able to appreciate the people that you have in your life and then also be able to, you know, move on from the situation. So I feel like for the person who has been bullied, heal yourself, know who you are, build back up that confidence, and remember that that person is also hurt too. Also, if you're the bully, hopefully you heal yourself from whatever insecurity that you had as well. Yeah, you don't have to be your worst mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Here's what's blowing my mind. You are 14. Yeah. You have more emotional intelligence and self-awareness than most human beings I know at any age. When I think about being 14, part of me thinks you are disempowered because you are so young. Mm. But I have the feeling, and correct me if I'm wrong, that your age combined with your self-awareness makes you powerful in a very particular way. I think that when you're so young, you have so much more power. And don't can say the same thing that I'm saying right now. It's not going to make the same impact, especially towards kids. Because it's so crazy to have someone that's like your peer speaking like a teacher. Because it's like, wow, like this is someone like who's like my age. And it's like giving them me that same message. It's like more special because like, you know that they know like what it is to be your age and what it is to like, you know, be you and like go to social media and all that. Uh, you have said that you owe part of your success in this field to your amazing parents. Yes, definitely. What makes them so great at being your parents? First, I would give them the most credit as to helping me acknowledge my superpower because kids are so many good at so many different things. And a lot of times parents force things onto their kids. They want to live vicariously through their kids. I think letting your kid decide what they want to do and helping them find that thing. My parents 
Um, I was very fortunate. My parents put me in every single camp. They still do now. Every single camp, every single, everything that they can to like anything that I had interest in. So I went to like, I went to soccer uh, practices. I, I still do art sometimes, but like very much into painting. Um, so they put me in paint camps. They put me in the basketball camps like every summer. So definitely like finding what I'm good at, finding what I like and letting me express what I like. And then not not limiting me to do one thing. So I was doing soccer, painting, and DJing, and my activism work all at the same time. So I think that's definitely why I can credit my parents to the most that I'm very grateful for. And then still now, my mom's my mom has a full time job that she's at right now and still manages me. Um, and my dad, of course, taught me how to DJ, which is the first start. So sort of realizing that I had this interest in music, and then building off of it, and then helping me do it at a professional level is really amazing. And a lot of kids can't so that they have the same thing. So I'm very fortunate for that, that I have a support system that can allow me to make my choices and uh, nurture them as well. Uh, your parents are with you. I see you, Sonia. Is it Sonia or Sonia? Sonia. Sonia. Is it okay if I speak to you and your dad is in the area too? Can I just get like two minutes with you two? I'd love to ask you a couple questions. No, I can speak. Okay, Sonia, you've been listening to our conversation with your daughter. You know, when you got pregnant and had a baby, I know you knew that this child could be anything. Oh, you 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 opened up a can of worm. Um, she came after 10 years of trying to have a baby. Eight miscarriages. And then when we got pregnant with her through in vitro, she was a triplet and she's the only one that survived. So when you put that into perspective, that answers your question. She's not a regular kid. We knew it from the womb. We knew she was a gift and we knew we had this opportunity to take part of a journey of of an indigo child, of a genius, of an of a gifted child. Like we knew that right from the beginning. And and she showed us that from the beginning as well. And so we we had to put everything we had into it. This was our shot. And I think we hit the jackpot. I would just add, because we tried so hard and took so long to have a baby, we, we were also very mature when she came along. So because of that maturity. And because she's the only child and because we wanted her so bad in life, we made it our mission that we're going to do whatever we can to make her be the best she can to for the world. <laughs> I knew she was a force. I knew she would be a light. We've heard the stories. We've watched the documentaries of child stars, especially when we're talking about Hollywood. Um, we've seen the dangers of things that can happen. Um, if you're not careful, if you're not balanced, if you're not involved. And so there may be opportunities that come up that just doesn't seem like a right fit. Everything is not a right fit, right? Everything. She doesn't have to do every gig. She doesn't have to make every appearance. By the way, thank you for saying yes to Audacious. Yes. Uh, yes. We knew that she, she's she been listening to NPR since she was a child. Yeah. My dad used to always pick you up. Yeah. So I just I want to say that. Yeah, I listened in the car or to NPR all the time. Says a lot about you, Glenn. She's always. Yes, she's always listening. Uh, 
I donate. I have a tote bag from when they did fundraisers. <laughs> I'm a real NPR fan. Yes, I am. Public radio is where it's at. That's yes, it. Yes, That's it. it. Uh-huh. Yes, it is. So just going back to what I was saying, you know, it she is our pride. So in addition to developing her into an adult, um, making her successful, not just financially, but just as a person, at, you know, her humanity, making sure her humanity is intact, making sure her spirituality is intact. You have to really weigh it out, what she should be doing and what we should stay away from. And so I'm very careful about that, about what appearances we make, what gig we're doing. We turn down DJ gigs every day because some things are just not a right fit. You know, this is my one shot. And so I'm not going to turn her over to an agent or Hollywood exec or anything like that if I don't feel that that's what she should be doing. My my one of my sayings to her constantly is listen to your parents. You know, you have a lot of children that at some age just went off on their own or found their own manager or people came in and they didn't really mean them any good. So I'm like, listen to your parents. No one has your best interest at no except from God. It's God and then it's me and dad. And that's it. That that is it. You you make me wonder. It's clear how much she's learned from you, her parents. What have you learned from her? Everything. <laughs> I learned that you can be fearless. I've learned that you can advocate for yourself. Although Annie Red has a lot of my personality, she's coming from a different place, right? So a part of her is coming from a place of privilege. She is. She is privileged. She goes to the number one private school in New York City. I don't mince words about that. That's a big deal. It is a blessing. Um, Not everybody can say that. And we are committed to that since she was in kindergarten. We made sure she went to the best schools. And so that is a privilege that I didn't have. So she has a lot of me with that other stuff on top. She can command a room of thousands of people. And I know Glenn definitely can pull that off, but but she can. So she is so much the best part of who we are. I'm more aggressive. Glenn is more laid back and she's both of those things. And then some, she brings in, and I always remind her, don't ever dim your light for anyone. Don't ever be down. Don't ever cower yourself to make someone else feel better. You walk into a room and and you own your space, right? You belong there. And and she got it. She, She definitely has that. Glenn, what about you? She's definitely our pride and joy. I want an only His whole Instagram page is just like me. <laughs> I want an only child. And then what have I learned? The same thing that my wife just said in terms of uh, how uh, a child could be so young, but so knowledgeable about the world and such vision and and uh, uh, speak as an adult, but be a child at the same time. I didn't, I didn't think such a thing was possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love how much time we've been able to spend together. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to leave our listeners with? 
there's most likely always going to be someone doing something better than you. So just find what you're best at and just stay to what you're doing. That's the only way to improve. And, and if you want to look at the other person and see what they're doing, you know, take inspiration, but don't sort of compare yourself to that person. DJ Annie Red, Sonia and Glenn Horton, thank you so much for talking with me. Support NPR radio, free speech radio, support it. When they have a fun drive, make sure everybody listening support. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having her. Thank you. Like to make fun of me. They say that your voice so raspy. They said you had you sound like a boy. But I say you can't destroy or kill my joy. When we get back, why Cash Daniels cares so much about reducing pollution on our planet. Once you see the plastic, you can't unsee it. I knew somebody had to do something about this, and then I realized I was somebody. And hear the story of Jack and the Egret. We did a memorial service. Because what they did was not a good thing, and we want to show that we're sorry for the Egret. I'm Kion Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. No, you won't. No, you won't bully me. No, you won't. Cause you think you're better than me. No, you won't. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford Healthcare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford Healthcare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is Audacious. I'm Kion Wolf. Ugh, everything is so beautiful on a riverbank. The rush and movement of the water. The animals weaving in and around it. The sun. The air. The... Is that a plastic bottle? And... Oh man, who left their styrofoam takeout containers on the bank? For real, people? If there's this much trash where I am, imagine all the trash in the actual river. Well, that's something that Cash Daniels doesn't have to imagine. He's a 14-year-old from Chattanooga, Tennessee, who is consumed with cleaning up the environment. So, Cash, how'd you get into all this cleanup stuff? My conservation journey began when I was seven years old, when I found a plastic straw on the beach. And when I found that plastic straw, I sort of knew that that straw might harm the animals that I loved. And when I came home, I also realized that or found out that the Tennessee River in particular is the most polluted with microplastics than any other river tested in the entire world. And even though most rivers don't look that polluted, 
that's because 70% of all plastic actually sinks. And when you think of most polluted rivers, you usually think of China or Asia because those are the ones you see the plastic floating. But here in the U.S., we also have very polluted rivers, but you can't see it. And then I started river cleanups. I went on the news to promote it. And altogether, I have removed over 25,000 pounds of trash out of the river so far and recycled two tons of aluminum cans and over closing in on 2,000 miles of fishing line. Okay, so here's something I need to understand. Plenty of people would go to the beach and come across a piece of plastic and think, huh, my rivers. (laughs) And then they would go, oh, well, what's different about you? Um, I feel like what's different about me is I actually took the initiative because I knew somebody had to do something about this. And then I realized I was somebody. And once you see the plastic, you can't unsee it. And it's really sad for me that people know about this trash and they don't do anything about it. Even though humanity has or semi gotten better over the years and has tried to fix this, we're still pretty far away from our goal. What is the goal? To have a healthy planet. If we keep polluting the planet and destroying the planet in a way we have been doing, we're not going to have the planet we have now. And this is the only planet we've got. And if we don't protect it, then the human race, as we know, it will die off. So when you talk about this, which you do a lot, and that inspires people to make even the smallest change or even bigger changes and try to walk in your footsteps, Every now and then when you're having these talks, you may be up against people who like agree and they're like, good for you, Cash. Thanks, buddy. Uh, But I don't feel really compelled. I don't think I can make a difference. What do you say to them? We don't all have to just focus on rivers and oceans. We can focus on forests. I have a friend in Australia who's trying to save this bird species. And I know a kid who's trying to save orangutans. We can all make a difference in our own way. And if somebody says you can't do it, get out there and prove them wrong. You also remind me of this thought that I probably got from the internet Um, during the pandemic. There was, as you remember, there was so much uh, fear and everybody felt like um, powerless. And then I remember somehow absorbing the message, focus on your neighborhood, focus on your street, focus on your own, where you are, just right at your feet. And that made me feel like, oh, right, right, right. I could do that. I could I could focus on where my feet are planted and the health of my neighbors. And does anybody around me need anything? So how do you think that sort of practice would translate in terms of people finding the environmental causes that might matter to them? I found mine because the Tennessee River was actually the most polluted microplastics than any other tested in the entire world. And I live just a couple of miles from the river. And that sort of made a connection to me. And 5 million other people depend on the Tennessee River for drinking water. And just find what you care about. And because you can't protect anything you don't care about. I love sharks and the environment because I don't live in Florida or I live in Tennessee, a landlocked state. So I try to make a difference while being landlocked. And most all the places on the world are landlocked. And 80% of all ocean trash comes from rivers anyway. So the rivers are the thing we need to be focusing on. And 
it doesn't matter where you live. You can make a difference and find something specifically near you that you can help. You mentioned sharks. What do you love so much about them? They're just beautiful animals and they're the cleanup crew of the ocean. Basically, they sustain the ecosystem. They eat all the dead and dying fish and keep the populations in check. All sharks are just beautiful. All 400 species of them. Do you feel like they're misunderstood? Like they got a bad reputation? Yeah, like Jaws. I like the movie, but it still gave sharks a really bad reputation. I think it was Steven Spielberg um, said he regrets making it because it gave sharks such a bad reputation. And it's just really sad that people can get a wrong picture of an animal from the movie. <laughs> Imagine what it does to like whole peoples when our media is so powerful. It gives us just an, a general idea about an animal. It gives you general ideas about people, too. Most people don't care for sharks. They could see sharks die away because most people don't even swim in the ocean because they're afraid of sharks. And I feel sharks are, if you leave them alone, they'll leave you alone. And I really don't like it when people say shark infested waters because it's the ocean. That's where they live. <laughs> right. Where, where else are they supposed to be? In the waters. Plus infested implies like dirty or unwanted. And it's like infested, like, you know, termites or something. I hear that. Um, so what I bet's going to happen after people hear our conversation is they're going to feel a renewed sense of like, yeah, you know, I can make a difference and it's important to cash. And I see what just one person has done. I wonder what I can accomplish too. And so let's say I'm walking along the banks of the Connecticut River here in Hartford and I see someone just toss their pull and spring bottle onto the shore. What's the best way for me to handle that situation, you think? Just politely go up to them and ask, like, hey, why did you throw that bottle down? From now on, don't do that. And then just go pick up the bottle. And if they ask, why are you doing this? Say, because the planet needs us and it needs our help to live on. Because we only get one Earth. And without it, without the natural resources and water, life on Earth as we know it cannot exist. When I imagine you picking up bottle by bottle shard of plastic after plastic bag on and on and on it reminds me of one of my favorite sayings which is how you do anything is how you do everything you're because your life is made up of all these tiny decisions that's that's everything so how you do anything is how you do everything and that's what makes me think of you um you have a lot of titles 2022 eco hero youth conservationist of the year Kids Who Show Courage Award, and then some. It's a very long list. Which of these titles that you've been given means the most to you? I did win Youth Conservationist of the Year three times in a row. But I think the one that I like the most is I was top five for Time Magazine Kid of the Year. I mean, that's Time Magazine. Not many people get to go on there. Tons of people read Time Magazine. So it's just encouraging that people can see me out there and I got to film a little show I got to meet Rob Gronkowski I got a mes message from Bindi Irwin that was just an amazing experience I think sometimes about validation and taking things personally there's this great book called the four agreements and one of the four agreements to like live a good life and one of the four agreements is don't take anything personally now 
when most people hear that, when I first read that, I thought, don't take any uh, criticism personally. And yeah, okay, let, let me let me do that. But it's also don't take validation personally. You know what I mean? And so even though from the little bit that I know about you, you'd probably be doing this work without the awards, without the cool meeting the celebrities, without all this stuff. When you do get awards and titles and recognition and love and appreciation what does that mean to you do you need that I feel like it's nice to be recognized like that but I don't need it because I mean the awards do come with money to help me put up more monofilament bins and do more work and but the award itself doesn't really matter the trophy doesn't matter and I just feel like the work is re- saving lives and saving animal lives and saving the planet is more rewarding than any, any award. After a long day of advocating for your causes and doing the work, um, what's the difference when you put your head down on the pillow at night between a good day and a great day in terms of your work? I'd say a good day is just going out, speaking, cleaning up, and not only being able to interact or speaking, but I like it when a great day is going out cleaning up and people ask why I'm doing it or I'm speaking and everybody comes up and asks questions and gets really involved. When you wake up in the morning, how do you usually feel? Mm, That's a good question. Um, I guess I feel like, I have a purpose instead of not knowing what I'm going to do the rest of my life. I do know what I'm doing and it's just really exciting to know or not know what's going to happen. Sometimes the messages of conservation when they come from adults fall on deaf ears. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Heard it before congressman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Famous older person. Yeah, yeah. got it. And sometimes when younger people say the same things, all of a sudden people listen. All of a sudden public radio show hosts are like, hey, can I interview you? I'd love to hear your, re- your reflections on what, on how it's more powerful being a young person uh, in this fight than if you were, when you are older. Um, I feel like people take a young person more seriously because they don't have to get money they don't have to pay taxes. They don't have to use money a lot. And I feel like people don't take adults as seriously because they think they're just doing it for the money. And I feel we have more stuff to lose. I mean, I don't say the generation that grew up with plastic, it was their fault because they were introduced to plastic and they didn't know the health repercussions of it. And it's just really sad that people blame the older generation for what we have now but yeah I feel like being a young person in this field really helps because people take you more seriously can you talk about a time where maybe being a young person in this field made it more difficult or it felt that way well I can't drive so my mom has to drive me everywhere and (laughs) not being able to make money myself really because my mom cut me off her bank account So why did she do that? I was just too expensive. (laughs) (laughs) 
but I did find a way to make money with aluminum cans, recycling them. But other than money and driving, there's nothing really been hard. So you're 14 years old right now. You started when you were seven. This is half your life that you've been committed to this work. If you could go back in time and talk to seven-year-old Cash and tell him something besides winning lottery numbers, maybe some advice or some wisdom, anything at all, uh, what would you say to him? It will be worth it in the end. I wouldn't change anything that's ever happened. Well, Cash Daniels, thank you so much for talking with me and thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for having me. After the break, what does an eight-year-old want two teenagers who hurt an egret to know? Don't do that because then you'll think about that all your life and you'll know that that's a big mistake. I'm Kyone Wolf. That's Jack. And you'll hear about his memorial service for an egret coming up next on Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. This past July, eight-year-old Jack Perch learned something that many of us already know. People sometimes do stupid, cruel things to other people and to animals, including in his own backyard. Two teenagers had recently attacked an egret at Ocean Beach Park in New London, Connecticut. Before Jack heard the news, his mother Anna didn't know if she should tell him. Jack has always really loved animals, and he's so perceptive and compassionate, and this happened at the park they love and visit all the time. Maybe knowing what happened would cause more harm than good. But she decided it was better that he knew, and when she did tell him, he did something a little surprising. To honor the egret, Jack decided to arrange a memorial service at Ocean Beach Park, and everyone was invited. But before we hear the whole story, let's get our facts straight here. What exactly is an egret? It's like a bird that's very white. Sometimes they could be grayish with white spots on it. And when you see one flying by, it kind of looks like a pterodactyl. How big is an egret? Like as big as a cat. Now, I hear that when it comes to chirping or tweeting, snowy egrets are pretty silent birds, but they do make sounds when they're startled. Or if they're feeding. Or if male egrets are showing off for the ladies. Can you imitate your favorite egret sound? Jack, when you heard the news about the attack on the egret, how did you feel? Sad and that I wanted to do something about it. Like, do something to show that me and my mom are upset that that happened. So what did you do about it? We did a memorial service. 
Why do you think it was important to get people together to remember and honor this egret? Because what they did was not a good thing, and we want to show that we're sorry for the egret. When the vigil happened and all those people showed up, how did it feel for you? Like I accomplished something. Did anybody say anything at the vigil that surprised you or stuck with you? Everybody came up to me and said, great job. How did that feel? Nice. How did you feel when you got home? Happy and sad at the same time. He grew up on this uh, cove. Almost, uh, most of the people that were there grew up right on the cove or live right on the cove. And we know we feel like we know those birds, right? Yeah. He goes out on that. We go out on our own canoes, the two of us, since he was, what, one and a half years old? I bet I've seen the bird that died before. Maybe. Maybe. He loves them. He gives them names and follows them. So it makes it feel like it's not as safe of a place for us, like it's not our safe backyard when people are doing stuff like that. Jack, what do you think the egrets at the cove are saying to each other right now? That they're happy that I did that. What would you say to someone who thinks it's okay to hurt animals? Don't do that because then you'll think about that all your life and you'll know that that's a big mistake. If you could tell the whole world how to treat animals, what would you say? Treat others the way you want to be treated. Like they're in your family. If you are lucky enough to be an old, old, old person someday, and you look back on this experience in your life, how do you think you'll feel about yourself? Like I accomplished something. Anna. Yes. I know you're proud of Jack. Yes. Are you surprised in any way, shape, or form that he responded this way and rallied to create this vigil? Yeah. Well, I didn't even want to tell him about what happened because it was so awful. I didn't know how to explain that to an eight-year-old, and I didn't want him to know that the world can be like that sometimes. Um, but his, uh, he heard about it in the neighborhood with the other na- neighborhood kids. And, um, uh, so when, when he and I sat down to talk about it, yeah, his first reaction was just that he was grieving the loss of a friend as a lot of people, you're sort of helpless, not quite knowing what to do. Um, but he definitely wanted to honor that friend and memorial services are what he knows about. Although I don't even know if he's ever been to one, but, uh, that just seemed to be the the one thing to do and to serve cookies and to talk about the bird and to get together with our neighbors because he felt scared that that happens in, you know, near right in his backyard. But I'm not surprised. He's a very, very sweet boy, of course. When I saw the article in the day about this vigil and about everything that had happened, I don't think I'd ever heard of such a thing, not unfortunately of animal abuse, but the idea that someone would put together a vigil for an animal. And it just filled me with such hope and joy uh, in the middle of a story that was so sad and tragic. 
do you think like vigils for animals should be something more people do? Yes. Because then you could show that we care about the animals. Teenagers are notorious for making really bad decisions. You know, it's easy to think of these kids as being bad kids or kids that we want to see punished. I don't think either of us necessarily feel that way. I we we try to believe that they're going to regret their decisions and change and you know, hopefully they could even help make the world a better place at some point, but but you know, you never know. So it, it a little bit more attention to it and a little bit more of sit, not sitting back and just um hoping that inside your head, I think there's a power in the community spirit of making that stuff um, go away with our with our good intentions. Um, and we all live, you know, we're very lucky to live in this little part of the world that is around Ocean Beach, where we we have to welcome um, guests from all over the state and um, other parts of the region all every day, and especially in the summer. And so we wanted to also remind them that this is, you know, <laughs> this is our backyard. And don't come here um, trying to make trouble. It's really, it's difficult on, on us neighbors when people do do that. So part of the other part of it was let's make it a little bit public so that hopefully it brings a message home to people that we don't, we want you to come and enjoy our um, space, the space with us, but we don't want them to hurt, hurt the animals. And, and the, the Ocean Beach Park does a great job of trying to make that happen as well. But now we're going to ramp it up a little bit with our neighbors and try to be more vocal and protect our animals even better. There was a, I don't know if you want to hear this one, but I thought it was really interesting that we were, um, when we were doing some research on egrets to think about what to say at the vigil, there was a um, a woman, a poet who wrote a poem called The Snowy Egret. Her name was Nancy Keating, and she wrote it in 2021. Do you want me to read it? I'd love that. Thank you. We read it uh, at the vigil. It said, uh, The Snowy Egret by Nancy Keating. Give me another word for regret, something more like forget, but only better, more effective, since in fact we really don't forget the bad things we did or caused. I read in a letter to the Sun magazine where a man will always remember the egret lying, a silent heap of cirrus clouds at his 12-year-old feet. It was his first and last time shooting a gun. His confession stabbed me into a memory of unremembered shame and the ache in my stomach telling me I had joined humanity. If that's maybe the positive that comes out of this is if we can, if the pain that we all feel towards animals, if we can, you know, make that into something good and help them, then he didn't die in vain, I suppose. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Jack, are there any other words that you want to say about this experience that you haven't said yet? Don't go to Ocean Beach to make trouble. Or what? There's going to be bad things that happen. <laughs> You'll stand up to them? Mm-hmm. Anna, anything else? Our little part of the world is very peaceful, but um, there have been some really sad things that happened um, and acts of violence that happened to people over the last couple of years down here that are also inexplicable and that we, we that I also didn't want to have to let then six and seven year old know that those things um, existed in the world. And it did feel like, you know, the day covered it and people talked about it, but nothing formally happened and nobody did a vigil. Um, a little boy died, um, a mother died, 
um, by violence uh, right near us. And it, and I know that the egret is pales in comparison, but it just got to it just to I think certainly to me when he said memorial service and I and we kind of turned it into something bigger. I did that because I thought of myself like we've got to stop just sitting around keeping our thoughts to ourselves. Like there must be a way to get together as a group and maybe that will make the the hurt go away and the sense of, of um, danger in our community go away a little bit better because we, you know, safety amongst ourselves and hopefully start getting towards, you know, a solution for these things. And that was part of why I did it also was I I thought to myself, I really want to, I really want to bring home the fact to him that the consequences that these types of mistakes can have and that um, to really think about that when you get to be a teenager and the the longer, the closer I get to having a teenager, (laughs) which is only a few years away, uh, the more compassion I'm trying to have for teenagers. So, because I expect that you will make a mistake or two along the way. And I can know for a fact that I'm still going to love you no matter what. Sound good, Jack? Mm-hmm. Well, Jack and Anna Perch, thank you so much for talking with me and for all that you did for the egret. Thank you so much. Thank you. One little egret singing by the sea. One little egret singing to me. One little egret singing by the sea. Oh, what a sight to see. You can see photos of Jack and Anna visiting the park and photos of DJ Annie Red and her parents and of Cash doing his thing at the beach at ctpublic.org audacious. Oh, and you'll also see the link to the first installment of our Audacious Kids series. This show is always so lovingly produced by Jessica Severin Martinez, Khalil Rahman, Meg Fitzgerald, Meg Dalton, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Subscribe to Audacious and listen back to shows featuring an eight-year-old talking about what he hopes his stutter can teach you and life advice from the youngest member of Mensa. She was four when we recorded our conversation, but she joined the High IQ Society when she was two. You can hear them all at ctpublic.org audacious or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay in touch with me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Kyone Wolf. You can always send an email to audacious at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening. sound like a symphony. One little egret singing by the sea. One little egret singing to me. One little egret singing by the sea. Oh, what a sight to see. Two little birds singing by the sea.